and God bless our little guys. Um, we love our children, amen? So, man, we, you know, children, they get around, you know, where there is no cattle in the stall, the stall is clean. And we use that with kids. Where there are no kids in a church, there's no running around and things going on. But we love them, you know. We, we, just, we just encourage uh, all of our little guys. Some of them are going to get baptized today, so that's a, that's a joy. Amen. I know that some of you here were baptized in the horse trough. How many here were baptized in the horse trough? Look at that, you know. You said the horse trough. Yeah, we had, a, we had no way to baptize. And so we had a, we had a big horse trough that we uh, put in the gym when we were in the gym. And we baptized people, and we baptized the floor. I'm telling you, it, we had water everywhere. And, but it stuck. I mean, it stuck for some. And so uh, little Weston, he wasn't sure about swimming pools. Is he okay now? Yeah, he's okay now. The swimming pool will be okay to get baptized in. He didn't think it, that's, that's where you swim. But uh, he's, gonna be, he's getting baptized today, right, those children? Amen. So he won't forget it. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles ready, we're going to go into the book of Psalms and to the second chapter. I'm going to preach some things that today may sound repetitious, uh, and a lot of what I do does sound repetitious, and it's just for one good reason, because it is. Um, the Lord goes at many different angles to give us the same result. The scripture, no matter where you study it, we've been, we've been dealing with this and uh, some of our other uh, preachers, pastors have been talking about this, the Bible being, being about the Lord. You know, you think the Bible is about good rules to live by. The Bible is about the Lord. It's about the revelation of God. The Bible's about and so there's a lot of different directions that we can go from. And I'm always, by the Lord's help, I'm going to end up at the same place. So you say, well, I've really kind of heard that message before. Well, it's the only message that counts. The message about the Lord. Can you say amen? So the second chapter of Psalms, I want to take a verse out of here. And not too long ago, I did preach out of this very uh, chapter. But I just want to grab this verse out of here because the Lord just spoke something to me in it. It's the seventh verse of the second chapter or the second psalm in the seventh verse. Last week, I did preach about making your intentions known, making some declarations in your life, what you're going to do, what you're going to be about how you're going to conduct yourself. I talked about that. Making that declaration is so important. This verse has some deepness in it that I want to try and bring out this morning. It says, I will declare the decree. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. 
I will declare the decree. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Can you go with me to the book of Hebrews, the second chapter, and then we'll go back to Philippians, the second chapter. Hebrews, the second chapter, and the ninth verse, leaning down through the 13th. But we do see Jesus crowned with glory and honor, who on account of the suffering of death was made a little lower than the angels, so that by grace of God he might taste death for every son. For it was fitting for him, because of whom are all things, and through whom are all things, bringing many sons to glory to perfect him as the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he sanctifying and the one being sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brothers." saying, I will announce your name to my brothers. I will sing to you in the midst of the church. And again, I will be trusting on him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God gave to me. Now, if you go back with me to uh, the book of Philippians, the second chapter. Very familiar, ninth verse, second chapter of Philippians. This is the mirror scripture of Isaiah 45, 23. It says basically the same thing in Isaiah 45, 23. But yet it still, still needs to be revealed in Christ. And so let's read this verse and down. Therefore also God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those of heaven, of those of earth, and those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord into the glory of God, Father. Amen. Lord, we just ask you now an anointing come upon your word. The reading of your word sets a foundation for us to speak. But, Lord, we only speak just according to your word. I pray that we don't get outside of that. Lord, we'll stand on your word this morning, that it will be the direction, the directive. It will be the foundation of what we teach. And that we will trust in this word of God. In the name of the Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I will declare a decree, a decree. This decree, the, the decree was given as a standard for the purpose of man, and I want to bring this out quickly. The purpose of man and the earth and its contents. Something was declared from the beginning that would supersede and overshadow all the future coming events. If nothing else was to be accomplished, this decree that God made would stand and that it would come to pass regardless of any other outcome. I don't know if you've ever really thought about this and God and his creation power, but thanking on him as one who was void of fellowship 
who needed man to talk to and fellowship with and was basically lonely. And I've heard this message about God's loneliness and, and how that he created man because he just, he just needed somebody to fellowship with, somebody that uh, he could love and that they could love him back. And so, therefore, God created man. And I don't see that this morning. I don't declare that. I don't believe that is the decree. But there was a decree that God built by. Now, a lot of us have certain things that, that we, I said last week, make declarations in your life. That we make declarations and we build by those. There's certain things that we do as families and we build upon that, right? We set that foundation and, and we begin to build on it. We build our marriages that way. Marriages don't just happen. They don't just fall out of the sky and everything's great. You build upon some principle in your life. With your children, there has to be principle on how you raise them and, and how you set their goals in life and, 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 and the, the things that you instill in them to honor and believe and trust. And all those things are set down by principle, but when we look at God, it's almost as we look at Him as not having really principle to build on, but just kind of shooting off the hip. I just feel like I'll do this. I feel like I'll do that. And, and this is far from the mind of God. And, and if you know that, that we preach a lot of this out of, out of the book of John, the first chapter and the first verse even, and the logos of God, the reasoning, the thinking, concept, ability of God to put together a thing. This thing wasn't done just by throwing things in the air. And I'm sorry this morning, I can't agree that, that things collided in the air and then, then somehow it became what we have. I just do not believe that at all. My faith says that God planned and purposed and created every single thing that there is. He created every age that there is. He created the purposes of the age, and, and there's no way that God is asleep right now and doesn't understand everything that's happening in this age because God created all things and all ages and all things were under him. He builds upon this decree. And if I can see God before there is an earth, before the foundations of the earth, if I can see him before Genesis 1-1, and most of the time we start at Genesis 1-1, God created the heaven and the earth, and we start there. But that's not the starting place. The starting place is in the planning of God. Because before he ever laid and hung the universe on pitch black emptiness and void, and before there was human design, before there was even the concept of procreation, before there were sons and daughters in the earth, God founded a decree that he would build this thing on. And that's why I believe that God in his structure in building the heaven and the earth, he didn't build it for you. He built it for him. He built it according to his decree, according to his favor and not ours, and so God has not changed that. You're not here for you. You are here for Him. That's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to take because we just don't feel it all the time. We don't see it all the time. We get up in the morning, and the only thing I see in the mirror is me. 
And I've got to go out and earn my way and do my thing. And so and then I look at God and say, Lord, I know that you're there, but, but really life is about, is about me. But I want to encourage you this morning, don't buy into that. Life is not about you. Life is about Christ in you. Life is about what God wanted to reveal himself to you. Can you say amen? Peter says it this way in, in his first book in the 20th chapter, or 20th verse, he says, the first chapter and 20th verse, indeed having been foreknown, speaking of Christ, indeed having been foreknown before the foundation of the world, but having been manifested in this last times because of us. That speaks to me that God had everything planned. But you know, different people arose and different governments arose. And different people conquered the world. The Romans conquered the known world just before the event of Christ being born. Things happened in place in Judaism. And things were, it looked like this certainly isn't the right timing, but God always, He always causes his plan to go forward. And we can look at the current events around us, and we're so involved in this, this morning, you know, we talk about America a little bit and, and the freedoms of America, and a lot of us are so disappointed in what's been happening and direction of government, direction of a lot of people in government, and it can be discouraging, especially if you have put your hope in that. But I want to encourage you this morning that America is not set free because of somebody else, but God had ordained it, and this country will do exactly what God ordains it to do. Can you say amen? It's not by happenstance that things happen. God causes and he forms, and, and God creates and he orders, and I believe God founds a thing, and then he causes it to be established and go on by his power. So this decree that's given to us in Psalm, the second chapter, or the second Psalm, the writer is looking in through a window of revelation to some old time, but yet he's looking forward to a new time, an event that would happen, an event that has not happened yet. But the decree is this. I will declare the decree. You are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Now, there are those who look at that and say, well, that was David. God was speaking to David. You are my son, and I have begotten you. And so maybe it was just about David. Maybe it was about Israel. You are my son, Israel. You are my servant, Israel. I have begotten you. But when we get into the New Testament, what they couldn't see in the Old Testament, what was not revealed to them in an Old Testament time has been clearly revealed to us. And this decree, what it would say from the beginning. And so let's go back with God in the beginning. Can you go back with me before there is an earth? Can you go back with me before there is a universe, before there is man and an earth to put man on? And God makes this decree. 
you are my son. Today, I have begotten thee. It's in the heart of God. It's the decree which he makes which will come to pass to show the heart of God. And God sees it before. It's just like the lamb that's slain before the foundation of the earth. When is he slain? Before the foundation? No. He's slain there in the heart of God before the foundation of the earth. In a mind and purpose and will and plan of God, the Christ is already slain on the cross before the earth. It's hard for us to understand. We can't plan that far ahead, but God can plan thousands of years ahead. Can you say amen? And in the heart of God, it's already been established. It's already put to decree. And this would simply mean that there is going to come a day. There's going to come a day when God will look at his son and say this, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. After all this time, I have begotten you. Not in eternity somewhere, not in ages gone by, but futuristic speaking, I will, and it's going to happen. This is the decree that God makes over creation itself. Creation, I will put you in place because there will come a day that I will say, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. I like that today. Today brings us out of eternity. Eternity has no days. Eternity has no length. It has no length backwards. It has no length forward. There is no time. Because there is no dying. There is no running down. There is no getting old. And when you take eternity, if something is begotten in eternity, it's not begotten in a day. And so this thing must happen in our day, in our time, in humanity's time. And so there will come a day. And that glorious day is going to come in the future. When God speaks this, I don't know how many thousands of years God said it before it happened, but I want you to know this. God's plan is going to happen. Somebody said amen. God's plan is going to happen. Listen, it looks like that, that maybe God has delayed his coming. When I was a little boy, they used to preach about the Lord coming back. When I was just a lad and, and worried, I would worry myself about that. Didn't know when that would happen. But let me tell you this. God has not delayed. He has a time and there is going to be a day when he's going to step out and God does everything in a time order and in a day. And there is coming a day as a day and the thief in the night, God's day will come. It's going to happen just like when God said, today I have begotten thee. Mm. Beautiful. And so this decree, this decree is, is clearly made for us to have come to pass in the Hebrews in the first chapter. The writer of the book of Hebrews has picked up the prophetic revelation mantle. And now he begins to reveal to us by the Spirit of God what God had said previously, formerly, thousands of years before time. And the revelator of the prophetic ongoing voice of the Lord gives an understanding of that 
in the book of Hebrews, the first chapter. He says, when he brings the firstborn into the habitable world. That first chapter of Hebrews is, is one of the most awesome, magnetic settings of Scripture for the Christian. You want to see Christ and His brilliance and His glory, don't forget to read the first chapter of Hebrews. There you will find this, this glory which God set. Here is the day. Here comes the day out of way back in eternity prophetically comes this day. And now in the first chapter of Hebrews, you're going to find the glory. God spoke to the old prophets. He spoke to them in different ways and sundry ways and manners and types. And he spoke to the fathers through the prophets. But now he has spoken to us in son. The writer is not now uh, projecting that Christ will come, but speaking of Christ having already come. And so he's looking back. He's where we're at. And so he says this, when, when God brings his firstborn in again, he's not born in eternity. He's born today. And when God brings the firstborn into the habitable world, this, this word firstborn, prototokon, is the first or preeminent. And then totokon, that was protot, but totokon actually would mean that which is brought forth. They usually use it for birth. But if we look at it in the sense of, of what God brought forth being preeminent, and I like that in this word, prototokon, when he brought this one into the world, which the world was about, which the world was framed by, which the world was done by, which all the placement of creation was about. When he brought this first one into the world, then he said, today, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. So when Maria, Mary, delivers this baby Christ child into the earth, which we believe to be on the Feast of Tabernacles, approximately 3 B.C., or 2,024 years ago, he is claimed as the only ever begotten Son of God. And not many times, but one time. There's just one decree and one event in which he comes, he comes into existence and fulfills this many thousand year old decree that God has made. It's amazing that the modern Christian church absolutely has no knowledge of this event in the way we've just described it. That God is not really about Christ. That really Jesus is just a kind of a, a, a launching board into our good life. That the things of God really aren't precious anymore. They aren't important that much important anymore. Because Christ just came and he just gave this you know, overall sanction of everybody and everything. And I do not declare that this morning, but I 
do declare the decree of the Lord. And because of whom are all things, and through of whom are all things. I don't want to get into a Greek lesson here this morning. But if you take the word dia, which means through, and you put it in the genitive form, it means because of. Or it could mean through of. And so Christ did not create all things. Christ was not born to create all things. God created all things, but he created all things in Christ Jesus. In other words, there wasn't anything made that was made without him. There was nothing made that didn't matter to him. But everything that was made was put in place by and through and because of whom all things exist and through of whom all things exist. He is the archegon of salvation. Well, the scripture says he's the author of salvation. Every time I do this, Brother Chris says amen. He likes this, the archegon. Because an author may just write a thing. But an archegon, he writes the thing and then he does it. He performs what he says. In other words, he leads the movement. He's not just one that professes a thing, but he actually gets down in the dirt and he leads the movement. And so this archegon of salvation that we have, it wasn't God disengaged with humanity. It was God come himself, Emmanuel, God with us, engaged in human salvation. So the importance of this decree is that God himself would be involved in the rescuing of mankind. But not only that, in the revelation of who he is to reveal himself to humanity. God is totally involved. Come on. God is not distant from this thing. In heaven somewhere, turning his back on Christ. I don't see that business at all. But what I see is God himself who puts on flesh and he dwells among us. God was manifested in flesh. God was seen of men. He was seen of angels. He was witnessed by the Spirit. He was caught up in glory that God himself he predicted this day he made this day this is the day that the Lord has made I will rejoice and be glad in it a lot of times we're just looking at a new day and a fresh day and I catch myself the older I get getting up out of bed and when I get out of bed I say thank you Lord for this day because we're not guaranteed another day. We don't know how long we're going to go. But I thank you, Lord, for this day. And sometimes I say, Lord, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. But if you go to the psalm where it was written, it's specifically talking about a day that God had designed. It's that same day. Today, today you, you have been begotten. You are my son. That glorious day that we look back at that God became flesh and dwelt among men. The archegon of our salvation is not distanced from this. He is so personally involved in it. He will proclaim a day and not just a day of birth but a day of death. 
God knows. It's going to be a glorious day, that day that Christ is born. Angels in heaven will celebrate. It's a fulfilling of what God had planned. But the other side of this is the death of the cross. Also preordained of God. Also pre-known of God. The archegon of our salvation suffers. He suffers death bringing in salvation so that he can bring many sons into glory. And I love this part about He said, so the one who is saving is connected with the ones who are being saved so that they are together in this thing. Now, I didn't suffer the cross of Christ, and neither did you, and there isn't anything you can do to pay for your own salvation. Can you say amen? But because of his suffering, we are connected together with him in his suffering So that the ones that are being redeemed, they're just like the one who is the Redeemer. Now, I'm going to tell you what. That really takes me back just a little bit because I don't feel like that I'm worthy to be called that. But Jesus said, for this cause, I'm not ashamed to call them brethren. Not strangers, not outsiders. Not sinners saved by grace, but brethren, we are of the household of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of his salvation, his suffering, which was preordained, he brought many sons into glory. Now, I don't want to uh, leave out the daughters because the women folks, and when it says sons here, most of the time in scripture it will say children, but it says sons here because The Lord is just making a point. But God is talking about people. I don't care who you are, what color you are, what brand you are, what culture you are, where you were born, what gender you are, if you're one of the two. God has called sons and daughters into his kingdom. And we're brethren. I I just... It's just hard for us to believe that that the Lord would look at us and call us brethren because we have a past. No, wait a minute. God has washed away my past. And the whole sense of salvation is that's gone. I'm justified. I'm freed from the power of sin and death and the penalties of sin this morning. I'm free from that. I am clean. I am free. I am washed. There's nothing about me that God can't look at me and say, you are a brother to me. And then he says this. He says, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers. Now we have to take this in the context of the Lord himself. The author, Archegon of Salvation, saying this, I will declare your name to my brothers. I will sing to you. In the midst of the church. I will declare your name. John 17. 
I have given them your name. And so we got this crowd going around trying to figure out what the name of God is. Oh, I have given them, given them your name. And here's what some of them came up with. They found it in the translation, in the English translation. Abba. Abba, Father. So that's what Jesus gave. He gave Abba, Father. Now we know the name of God. His name is Abba. I think we need to take a little further than that. The Jews finally didn't know what to call God, so they began to call him Adonai. They wouldn't say Yahweh. And to this day, I don't know if you've seen some Jewish writings, but normally when they come to the place where they would put God, they just put a G. That's it. Afraid to say the name. The problem is, they don't have the right name. I would be afraid to say the name too if I didn't know the right name. And so when Jesus says, I declare your name to my brothers, who is it that he's identifying? He's identifying this God in whom he is flesh even right now. And the name that he leaves us is the name Yeshua. I have declared your name. Your name is Yeshua. Yeshua is not a name like Rodney. And we go out to the job and we introduce ourselves all the time this happens. Poor Parker. Hi, I'm Rod. Hey, I'm Rodney. And sometimes he says it properly, I'm Little Rod. And then we got Parker, poor Parker. He's not a rod out there. We got everybody on the job is a rod, Ben Parker. Right. He's okay, though. I think he's good with it. Yeah, he's, he's good. But what's in a name? What's in a name? It doesn't really mean too much. It represent. When I say your name, I think about who you are. I think about your character. I think about uh, what you do, your family. Think about your association with me. And that's all that's in a name. But when you talk about the name Yeshua, Yeshua is not a name like Rod that's really kind of worthless. It's just an identification thing. Yeshua, no. No, it's taken from the very heart of God himself. And God will speak to Joseph and say, don't you name that baby anything else but Yeshua. Because there's a reason for Yeshua, Yah, which is God, Yahweh God, and Shua, which has demonstrated himself in salvation. And when you put those two together, you have the name that God wanted to birth. Today I have begotten thee, and today I name thee Yeshua. You are the salvation of the world. And so the poor Jews, I feel sorry that they, I, I, a few weeks ago this, this came clear to me, they did not follow the preceding revelation of God, the preceding prophetic word of God. They would not follow it. They wanted to stay back with Moses and Abraham and, and, and Jacob, but they didn't want to follow the preceding word of God. 
And so they get to Jesus, and because they're not following the preceding revelation of God, they don't take his name. And if you don't take his name, friend, you have no chance of salvation. Because there is salvation in no other name. Can you say amen? This name we call the Greek New Testament, the, the equivalent to Yeshua was Jesus. And then our equivalent to the Greek New Testament in the English was Jesus. And confidently we can say the name of Jesus knowing who it represents. But it's Yeshua, God, who is our salvation. God, who is the author of our salvation. God, who became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, prophetically, God had deemed that Christ would come as the Savior of the world. Neither exist Another name under heaven given among men in which we must be saved. Somebody said, well, the love of God is just reaching people. And there's people all over that are just getting saved that don't even know Jesus. That's not the God of the Bible. That's a good humanistic thought. That God is just bringing people into the kingdom. But there is salvation in none other name. They said, well, I, you know, I just met God. And, and uh, of course, we go back to, to, to one of the uh, emergent church leaders. He met God on an LSD trip. And I'll just leave that there. So I want to talk for a minute about in the name of Jesus. In the name, or in Jesus' name, it, it's usually, I think, used as a stamp of approval at the end of our self-centered prayers. We pray something long and hard, and then, then as long as we say, in the name of Jesus, we're good. Lord, afflict my neighbors. Give me favor. Let me get the money from the wicked, you know, in the name of Jesus. No, saying in the name of Jesus is not a formula for your prayer to be answered. So we have this, these different ideas about this. One of them is called the blank check theory. Because somebody read in the Bible and said, whatsoever things you ask in my name. Oh, okay, so then I'll bring that over into Jesus, and I'll ask it in his name. So whatsoever things I ask. And then, but John, or, or, or um, James rather said, James said, you pray and you don't have your prayers answered. You know why? Because you're praying to heap on yourself of your own lust. But the scripture Jesus said, whatsoever things I pray I can have. So I got this blank check, and it, I, all I have to do is just fill it out. And that's the way it works with him. You just go, and in Jesus' name, it's going to happen. In Jesus' name, it is not going to happen. His name has some definition and purpose about it. It's not a foolish joker card in the midst of the deck. His name is all-powerful. Can you say amen? His name is all-important. 
So what's in his name? It's all important. Secondly, there's a lot of people using misappropriation of his name. I didn't know this, but misappropriation is a crime. If I go out of here and do, well, let's put it this way. I think it's pretty easy this way. If you went and bought something and you used somebody else's name to buy that, you would understand that, that that's probably worth you know, trouble for you, maybe imprisonment. You've misappropriated somebody else. We got prophets all over this country and preachers all over this country that are saying, thus saith the Lord, and the Lord's not saying it. That's a misappropriation of his person. And that's what God in the Old Testament said, don't say things that I don't tell you to say. Don't say, thus saith the Lord. Because when you say, thus saith the Lord, and you're not in the preceding word of God, and a prophetic preceding word of God, you may say a thing that's the opposite of what God's trying to do. In other words, you're in the other camp, mis- misappropriating the name of Jesus. I think there's a lot of misappropriation going on in this, in this religious sector of ours. Can you say Amen. I'm saying the Lord said it, the Lord didn't say it. And then there's this other camp that says, well, I found in the scripture that God said, command ye me. And so God can't do anything in the earth unless it's done with consent by us because God gave dominion over the earth to us. And so if God's going to do anything in the earth, he has to get permission from us. What in the world kind of humanistic idea is that? So God becomes our servant. Command ye me. You don't use the name of Jesus and command him to do anything. We are all servants of the Lord God. Even though we are brethren, we're in a servant capacity. We're not in the master capacity. We are in the servant capacity. Can you say amen? So when we take the name of Jesus, we take with respect, with honor, and with privilege to even speak that name. Lord, we ask you in the way of petition. We don't ask you in the way of commanding. We don't ask you in the way of of releasing you to do this and that. God's released to do anything he wants. Nobody binds the Lord. And we don't release him. God is going to do what he wants to do. Can you say amen? But we need to be released to trust in him. We need to be released of our will so that we'll hear what he has to say. And I'll make a declaration this morning, all of that which I just said, blank check, misappropriation, and command ye me. And I make this declaration this morning that that is heresy and that that is blasphemy. That's not the declaration of the Lord. I will declare, but I'm not declaring that. I will declare the name of Jesus Christ. I want to go to Philippians. This, this is such a familiar scripture and and so, I want to break it down just a little bit. Philippians 2nd chapter, 9th verse. And through this, it says, therefore, because of this. Can you put, there you go, wherefore God. It's really the Greek words through this or because of this. This event that just took place. That God had preordained. That God had already set up the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And he comes to the cross. Listen, I don't believe Jesus got the name after the cross. 
kind of reads that way. You say, well, because he did this and that, he got this name. No, no, no. No, it was today you are my son, you get the name. Because I know what's going to happen as it lays out. Is there any question in the heart of God that, that in flesh he's not going to do his own will? Of course he's going to do his own will. And so to start out with, I call his name right out of the womb, Yeshua. So this kind of reads like if, we, if, we're, if we're not careful in reading, well, it will look like he got the name because he did the thing. No, he did the thing because he has the name. That's who he is. That's what he's preordained to do. That is following through with the prophetic word Proceeding word of God. So through this, self-same God exalted him beyond measure and endowed upon him a name above every other name. And here we go, that in the name Yeshua, Jesus, every knee should bow of the heavenly and of the earthly and of the departed souls. And every tongue should declare, should declare, Jesus Christ is Lord. I will declare. I will declare that he came. I will declare that he was born. I will declare, and and we're going in the preceding prophetic voice of God now. He's already been born. He's already done ministry. He's already laid down at the cross. And I'm going to declare those things. But there is something current right now that will never change about him. And that is Jesus Christ is Lord. It doesn't matter what dimension you're in now. He's going to be Lord. He'll be Lord here this year, next year, ten years from now. Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the declaration that God has laid upon him. Now, not just that he will show up. Not just he'll be born in Bethlehem. Not just he'll fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. But the preceding word of God goes on and on. And Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the progenitor of this thing, the one who created it, the one who founded it, the one who birthed it, the one who processed it, the one who put it in place, the one who ordained it, the one who brought it to pass. The glory goes to God, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Should we put a restraint on what declaration we have? And I I would say, depending on the declaration, yes and no. Peter and John in Acts 4, again, I refer to this again, brought before the Sanhedrin. They told Peter and John, don't you speak in this name anymore. Don't use this name Don't talk about this name anymore. See, they had not come along the prophetic voice of God. They never got to his name. They're back there trying to hide the name of God. 
And he's trying to expose his name to the world. Don't you use this name. We're going to put it back in hiding. And John and Peter said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Should we obey you or should we obey God? We can't help. Listen to this. We can't help but declare the things that we have seen and we have heard. And I say to the church this morning, there should be something in your heart that says you're not going to stop me from declaring what God has done in my life. You're not going to stop me from declaring Jesus Christ is Lord. You're not going to stop it. I don't care how you feel about it. You might want to go backwards. You might want to cover him up. You might want to put him back into infamy somewhere. But I'm telling you this morning, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's in this house this morning. He's alive this morning. He's sitting in glory this morning. He is here. He is here. He is here. He will ever be in his church. Jesus Christ is Lord. We make that declaration this morning. After they had told John and Peter, don't you speak in that name anymore. How it's just like building a fire under them. They said, we see it now. You don't want nothing to do with the decree, but we do. Their ministry catapulted from that meeting they begin to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. John says in his epistle, he says it this way in the first chapter of 1 John. The one that was from the beginning, the one we have heard, the one we have seen with our eyes, the one we beheld and our hands have touched, Concerning the word of life, we do bear witness and we declare Jesus Christ to you. Part of what's happened in the church, and I'm sorry to say as, as we close here this morning, all the trappings of Christianity as we know it right now aren't even worth repeating. You would think that our reliance on him would be greater and greater, but it has become less and less. We don't really need him in our services anymore because we can handle it. We know how to worship. We know how the right things to say. We really don't need him anymore. Oh, he's Lord somewhere. He's just not Lord here. And so churches are open all over this country that sermons being preached that accomplish absolutely nothing. How-to sermons will not fix your spirit. How-to sermons will not bring you to repentance. But the Spirit of God poured out in Revelation will touch your heart. When we begin to proclaim once again that Jesus is Lord, this whole church rose up, people all over this place raising their hands. This is what God will use to bring us close. Not the how-to stuff. 
Not, not the stuff that we can use, you know, for our everyday living. I want to tell you what you need to use for your everyday living. You get out of that sack in the morning. You begin to declare something. You begin to declare, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of my life. He's Lord of my family. He's Lord of my job. He's Lord of my finances. Jesus is Lord of my life. That'll fix your everyday life. That'll bring you into perspective. I don't know, Pastor. I just need a whole bunch of stuff. You know, I need, I need to feel good when I leave church. I don't intentionally try and make people feel bad, but your flesh is an enemy of God. <laughs> Do we have to go there, Pastor Rodney? Your flesh, according to Corinthians or, or Romans, rather, the 8th chapter, your flesh is an enemy. Your two-by-four mind is an enemy of God. It cannot and will not become subservient to God unless by the Spirit you walk. So, all over this country, sermons are being preached that accomplish absolutely nothing. Man, I feel better about myself. I just went to a such and such thing, and boy, I'll tell you what, I really feel good now. Man, they give me some self-worth, and I've been really, boy, because this is good. This is good. The Lord is good. It, it accomplishes absolutely nothing other than to encourage the hearers to indulge in the flesh. That's what's going on in pulpits all over this country. Not all of them. There's some men that are still preaching this gospel. But in a lot of places all over this country, that seems to be the theme. It doesn't matter. God loves you. Just do what you're doing. Um, we'll all go to heaven one day, and that just seems to, to fit everybody, and, and they'll even give some money if you'll talk that way. And so when preachers are doing that, and when music, listen, is so blended, when music is so blended to the world that the world enjoys it, I'm going into places of business now, and Christian music is playing. The guy at the front desk is using foul language and vulgar stuff. They're selling rotten, dirty things. And, but Christian music is, why is Christian music playing in such a place? Because it's so blended now, and it's so nice, and there is no definition. But let somebody come out and in a song and begin to say, I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you serve him and him only. And they're reaching for the radio to shut that one off. Because the church hasn't made clear declaration about the decree of God. So just kind of blending. Then the world looks at the, what we call Christianity. Modern day Christianity lifestyle is a joke. So man, you're starting to meddle now. You're doing really good. Now you're meddling. When they can't tell you from a blatant center there's something wrong. Let me put it to you this way. You are the light of the world. There should be some definition about us because we have a declaration behind us. And that declaration says Jesus is Lord here. Jesus is Lord here. Jesus is Lord here. He's Lord in our homes. 
He's Lord over us. Hallelujah. Jesus is still Lord of everything. Can you say amen? It's the only declaration that makes a difference in the human existence. Jesus is my Lord. Nothing else will change you. Nothing else will fix your problems. Just Jesus is my Lord. He's the only one. Can you say amen? Brother Tom, Sister Debbie, would you come, musicians? I just want to sing that old song, He is Lord. I mean, what else would I sing this morning? He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And He is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess Jesus Christ. He is Lord. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And let's pray. Lord Jesus, I poured out my heart today. I've declared a decree that was from the very beginning, before the beginning. What you established, what you intended to do, and now what you have set in order in our day. You are Lord. God, if there's someone here this morning, Lord, that needs to turn over their life, say, Jesus, I want you this morning to be Lord of my life, totally. Not in name only. Not some kind of fictitious character in my life. Not a TV personality, but the real, living Lord God Almighty. Lord, and I pray for that one this morning. God, that they will find this life in you, Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. With your heads bowed this morning, somebody lift their hand and say, I need to make him Lord. I want to make him Lord. I want Jesus to be my Lord. Amen. God sees it. God sees it. God sees it this morning. Just let him talk to your heart. Amen. God sees those. He is Lord.